1: And thank you very much. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. There is new reporting that makes clear that Trump's reaction to the insurrection alone, his reaction alone, is damning. Breaking details on that phone call between Trump and McCarthy. McCarthy was absolutely pleading with Trump to send aid to the Capitol. In response, Trump said, well, Kevin... I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. In that moment of crisis, Trump showed spite. No wonder McCarthy said to him as rioters were breaking into his office through the windows, quote, who the F do you think you're talking to? No wonder McCarthy was blaming Trump for the attack in the immediate aftermath. This call is reported according to lawmakers who were briefed on it afterwards by McCarthy. Republicans. One of them is GOP House member, Jamie Herrera Butler, who went on the record to CNN. Another Republican member familiar with the call says it, quote, proves that the president knew very early on what the mob was doing and he knew members were at risk and he refused to act. It is a violation of his oath to office to fail to come to the defense of Congress and the constitutional process immediately. Now, it is not easy to get people to argue what is clearly in defiance of fact, even lawyers. That's why Trump is on his third string defense. And today, they got caught in a very important lie. They said the call Trump made to Senator Tommy Tuberville during the insurrection was hearsay like It didn't happen. We don't really know. Thus, they argue, quote, at no point was the president informed that the vice president was in danger. Tuberville has said on the record that he told Trump on a phone call during the insurrection that Pence was being ushered out. And he stands by that account today. Not hearsay. Trump was informed and he did nothing worse After he knew Pence was being escorted out, he tweeted an attack on him that led the mob to look to hang him. Two points of proof that Trump did nothing to help the VP or the other members of Congress, that he only reached out to mock their peril and pressure them to do his bidding on the vote. That violates his oath of office. That is arguably impeachable, even if He had nothing to do with starting the attack. While McCarthy is asking for help, he essentially says, hmm, the other guys seem to care more. Think about it. The Trump defense to all of it is simple. Everything that you just had confirmed to you about the phone calls. All we know that Trump said that day and before. All of it, even if true, it's all okay. Because everybody does it. Everybody does the same thing that Trump did. Politicians are always talking about fighting. Democrats use the word all the time. The media, too. Listen.
2: This is ordinary political rhetoric that is virtually indistinguishable from the language that has been used by
1: people across the political spectrum for hundreds of years. Indistinguishable. That's going to be the key word. But first, even I made the cut. I was in the defense. I was an example of people who do exactly what Trump does. Listen. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I did say that. Obviously, it's my face. Different hair, same face. Context is everything. Trump and co were criticizing black protesters and their allies because they were shouting at cops. That they were at fault for showing outrage. Shouldn't say how society is, how bad it is. Shouldn't talk like that. Black people are not limited to singing hymns and going home. Outrage can convey a message and make change. But the defense team leave out what I say next. I say next, looting, arson, violence. Now that's something else. Don't confuse that with protests or people doing it with protesters. There are bad people in with good people In these situations, that's the truth. Now, why would they leave that out when it immediately follows? Because Trump never said anything like that. And if he had, we may not be here today. But why did he leave it out? Is it because while I was justifying allowing protesters the right to be angry, even if they're black, he was motivating action his own people know it. At least 16 of Trump's own administration officials were so horrified by his conduct, they quit in protest after the insurrection because they too saw the clear link between Trump's conduct and the insurrection. What he wanted is clear. This trial is really about what his party is willing to own. An acquittal will not just give Trump a pass. It will give safe passage to those who attacked. The kooks will celebrate victory and they may well look to capitalize on it. You know, they all know that Trump did them dirty on that Republican side. They all know he failed at his duty. And if he were a Democrat, they would all be saying it. And here's the point. What you see, what I see, they see too. They are not blind to what honoring an oath looks like. Because this is what they did today. Everyone, right and left, were on their feet. The one unified moment we've had was for who? Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman just awarded a Congressional Gold Medal for his valor on January 6th. Why? Because he did the right thing in a hard moment. He took action and didn't put himself first. He put you people first in Congress. So you have to ask, how can the Republican members of the Senate applaud what Goodman did and then vote to validate his opposite? Let's bring in the better minds, Manu Raju and Michael Smirkanish. Manu, uh, this reporting comes out literally on the precipice of this decision. Let's start with the Tuberville call, very interesting. What yeah, was no- the defense play in saying that it's hearsay when they know Tuberville is in the room and not going to sit down and let himself be called a liar?
3: You know, Christine really didn't have any good answers to what Donald Trump did on January 6th, his actions, and whether he knew that the vice president was in danger. They just could not and did not answer that question. They were asked in various forms. That that Tuberville exchange was quite remarkable because what the senator from Alabama, who is a big Trump supporter... and probably owes his seat in large part to Donald Trump's support, even voted with Donald Trump to overturn the electoral results in two states. He said very clearly that Donald Trump had called him and attempted to call him, actually called Mike Lee. Mike Lee, the senator, put him on speakerphone and and Tuberville talked to him. And Tuberville said to him, I can't talk to you right now because the vice president has been evacuated. Ten minutes later, Mike... Pence is the subject of a tweet from Donald Trump getting attacked by Donald Trump. Now that's what the Trump attorney said today was hearsay. And then when I caught up with Tuberville later in the afternoon after the proceedings, he said he stands by that account. Chris, his exact quote was, this is what the president told him, he said, Mr. President, he told the president, he said, Mr. President, they've taken the vice president out. They want me to get off the phone. I got to go. That was the extent of their phone call. So." All this shows, Chris, is that Donald Trump was aware of what was going on, but the Trump team just did not have any real clear answers about why he didn't act sooner, what he was doing, what his mindset was. They sidestepped that question time and again. And I can tell you, in talking to Republican senators tonight, they were just not satisfied with his responses, including Bill Cassidy, who asked the question about Tuberville and and the Pence exchange. And he said, he said, I said, are you satisfied with the response? He said, no. How could he be? They lied. Um,
1: Now, you double that up with, Michael, what we call arguing in the alternative. Even if you want to say that Trump didn't uh, incite the riot, he didn't even want a riot, then why didn't he do anything to stop it? That McCarthy call, I mean, that is the most cold-blooded thing I have ever heard out of politics. I've heard a lot of things like that in terrorist organizations. But McCarthy saying, hey, man, we need help. And he says, hey, I guess these people care more about the election than you do. This is where you speak. Okay, I didn't know that.
4: Here's the big picture view. Today was the day that the focus shifted, and and shifted in line with what you and I talked about last night. We've talked about November 3rd through January 6th. We've talked about the president's speech on January 6th. Today, the big takeaways are all about the inaction. Chris, there's a 90-plus minute window where Rome was burning, And Trump was doing nothing. The McCarthy call is significant because it goes to McCarthy and Trump's state of mind. Trump evidencing his desire to see the rioters continue. Notice he didn't do what Kevin McCarthy was asking. I thought the most telling exchange today was when Murkowski and Collins posed the Howard Baker question to the Trump lawyers. You know, what did he do and when did he do it? Specifically, exactly when did President Trump learn of the breach of the Capitol? What did he do? Be specific. They had absolutely no answer for that. So the realization now by everybody is that Trump was just standing idly by, no doubt watching all of the rioting, all of the violence and letting it go.
1: And mm. uh, Mano, in terms of the reporting, does any of it resonate?
3: I don't think so Chris. I, honestly, it just this this uh, cake is baked. The Republican senators are making it very clear they are going to acquit. They have heard this this new reporting is just in line of what, what the House impeachment managers have presented over the last couple of days. It is underscores uh, what they are, have been arguing on the senate floor so the senators are aware of this story they're aware of what donald trump did in the run-up to january 6 what he did to bring that rally to here to washington what he did to speaking to that rally and what he did not do once the riders came into the capitol and at the same time it's very clear in talking to virtually all these republican senators over the last several days and several weeks that they still are not going to move to convict because they say the Senate should not be trying a former president. So you can say what you want about that argument, but that is their argument. So tomorrow, when that key vote happens, I would be surprised if you get More than six Republican senators breaking ranks. I would be surprised that even if Bill Cassidy would vote to uh, convict Donald Trump, there are some signs that he might not. We'll see where he comes down. But Mm. at least five are going to break ranks, I think. Maybe six, but certainly not 17. And that's what they need to get to 67 tomorrow, Chris. Mike?
4: The case may end tomorrow, but the trickle of detail is still going to come. I mean, the Tuberville phone call, the McCarthy phone call. You know who I want to hear from? former Vice President Mike Pence. How does Mike Pence feel when all of a sudden now the focus of this thing is whether President Trump knew he was imperiled and still did nothing and still was sending out a a tweet that was congratulatory of the protesters and critical of Pence? That story is going to get told. It's a question of when.
1: What's the price tag? For that book? Big. <laughs> no, that, that, <laughs> that is a good answer. Um, but look, we know that they think there's a price to convicting. Is there any price to acquitting?
4: Uh, well, you and I have spoken before. If, if it were a vote behind closed doors, there's no doubt that this would be a conviction and it would be overwhelming. Right. Well beyond the two thirds.
3: Mm. Yeah. And Chris, the easy vote for Republicans is to acquit. I mean, if they were to vote to convict, they're going to invite So much backlash. They're seeing what has happened to those 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach. They saw what happened to Liz Cheney and her getting threatened to get booted out from her leadership spot. She survived that challenge. But Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, he knows full well that could happen to him. Yes, he just won re-election, But talking to Republican senators, they've told me that he could potentially lose support as Republican leader. When he's the longest serving Republican leader in history. He could potentially lose support if he were to vote to convict. And he has a finger on the pulse of his conference. He knows where his conference is. The easy vote for Republicans politically is to acquit, which is why they're going to acquit, Chris. You know, just to bring it back to McCarthy,
1: if you need a metaphor for just how strong the pull is to respect Trump's base, McCarthy basically gets told, you know, have a nice time, uh, you know, with the barbarians, uh, tells Trump, you know, throws the F-bomb at the president or the former president, and then still goes to kiss his ring still votes the way he wanted to to decertify right after the insurrection, where he knew for a fact that Trump left him sitting like a duck, Michael.
4: Well, how badly does he want to be Speaker of
1: the House in 2022? That's what it tells you, right? I guess it does. I mean, I have to be honest. I know you guys are right. Omano, I know you're right. And I really trust your perspective on it, Michael. It just feels so wrong. You are basically damning yourself to fealty to Trump. You are resigning yourself to own whatever political violence comes from this, from these crazy extremist groups that you're going to be given a victory slap to. I mean, I well, just don't, can't believe they're Don't misunderstand my analysis for approval, because it sure as hell isn't. I got you. I'm just telling you, I hear your heads. I'm just telling you, my heart's just telling me I can't believe they're getting so quick to put themselves in such a bad, damnable situation. Manu, thank you for the spot on reporting. And Michael, as always, all week, you've been really keeping us crystal clear on what matters. And I appreciate you, brother. Now, I mean, look, it's never been about the facts. There are no good facts for Trump in this situation. We would offer them up if they were there because this is a situation nobody wanted to be in. We're in the middle of a pandemic. But... If this doesn't matter to Kevin McCarthy, the guy's on the phone with you. Think about it. Put yourself there. It's all common sense, right? You call me and say, you've got to call these people off. All four fans of Cuomo primetime are coming after us. And I say, hey, man, I guess they love the Mo Man more than you do. And you throw the F-bomb at me. Then you vote in my favor right after it. Even though you say you think I'm responsible. And then you go to the mat for me in this situation. That's how strong the pull is. Now, the question is, could there be some surprise tomorrow? Could the managers call McCarthy to testify? Let's bring in two brilliant legal minds to go through the points that were made and what the tension is on each side. Next. There's a very strong argument that he's, he's guilty even under the strict Brandenburg standard. Why? Because he incited imminent lawless action and he intended to do it and it was likely to cause it. How do we know it was likely to cause it? It did cause it. They overran the Capitol. This is about protecting our republic and articulating and defining the standards of presidential conduct. And if you want this
5: to be a standard for totally appropriate presidential conduct going forward, be my guest. But we're headed for a very different kind of country at that point.
1: Now that's lead impeachment manager, Jamie Raskin, uh, going at the idea of the speech and the intent. But there is an entirely other wrinkle that was really fleshed out today. In the law, they called it an even-if argument, even if Trump didn't want this to happen, even if he didn't incite it. Once it happened, isn't it a breach of his duty alone just how he reacted? Let's bring in the two best legal minds I could have on the show. We have Preet Bharara and Robert Ray. Thank you both, gentlemen. Appreciate you making time for me tonight. Um, Preet, What do these calls mean in light of one of the main questions that were asked by senators about the VP? Obviously, he's a touchy point uh, about whether or not the president knew about his danger. Here is what defense counsel said about what the president knew about Pence.
2: The answer is no. At no point was the president informed the vice president was in any danger.
1: How are they supposed to accept that in light of Senator Tuberville's account of his phone call? And of course, as the overlay, what they learned about the McCarthy call today.
6: They can't, they can't. And I think CNN has been covering it all evening and it's vitally important, both um, I think as a constitutional matter, as a matter relating to the article of impeachment, and also as a matter of conscience for the senators. I mean, Mike Pence is not, was not only the vice president of the United States, but was the person who would break ties in the Senate. The vice president is the one official in the executive branch who has an office in the Senate. And Donald Trump, whatever you you say about the other arguments and the moments leading up to the insurrection, it is absolutely clear from the admissions of of Senator Tuberville and from Common Sense and knowing what was being reported on all the networks at that time, about the two o'clock hour on January 6th, that the place was under siege and that Michael Pence was in danger and Donald Trump didn't care. He didn't care about the life of his own vice president. That is a powerful argument in favor of holding Donald Trump accountable. And there's no excusing what the lawyer said about it today. Uh, Fair point to the audience.
1: Robert Ray on the show yesterday said he believed that the president uh, was in dereliction of duty because of how he responded to the insurrection. Would you have answered the question the way Mr. Vanderveen did,
5: Robert? No. Uh, I I would have said, look, there's no evidence that's been presented with regard to that question. Uh, It's the House managers burden to have explored that issue. If they wanted to explore it, they could have explored it in the House of Representatives. They bring the record over to the Senate, and the question and answer session is not designed to essentially have what amounts to extrajudicial statements about what the evidence is. Uh, The president has no obligation to come forward and help the House managers prove their case. That's their responsibility, and they have the burden of proof. And as I'm sure Preet will point out, I understand that this is not a, a criminal trial, but it, it is quasi-criminal in nature, and, and we still do play by the rules of due process, which means that a, an article of impeachment is returned by the House okay. and the House managers on behalf of the House have the burden to prove it.
6: All right, so Preet, what's the response? Look, this, this idea of, of due process, which we hold sacred in criminal trials, doesn't have the same kind of application in an impeachment trial. This Senate trial is for people like the, like, like us who have, who have tried or overseen uh, trials of cases. There's no judge. There's no voir dire of the jury. You don't require unanimity. There's no special verdict form. Um, there's no appeal. Um, you have jurors who are meeting with the defense over their strategy. And so I, I understand the rhetorical point about how due process, due process, due process. Um, what, what matters here is what individual senators think was a breach of responsibility and duty on the part of the president or not. And, and I hate to say that that's what it boils down to. We don't even know what the standard of proof is. We don't even know what the elements of the articles are that you have to prove. None of that is the case in a standard court of law. And I think in this situation, senators can take the position that in the absence of, uh, again, I know that the, the, the prosecutors, the, the house managers, have some burden of proof, how high that is, it's not clear, it's not stated anywhere in the law. But the fact that they're, they're declining to answer the question uh, of what their, their client knew and what he did, I think is devastating to that side. And you can't make the same argument that you make in a, criminal, in a criminal case that the government just hasn't proven its case. Some of the proof is in the fact that they have nothing to provide with respect to what Trump did in those minutes and hours after the insurrection started.
1: The absence of proof, meaning the absence of a record of his action, tells you everything you need to know, Robert, about what happened once the insurrection began. Is that dispositive? Does that make the case that Trump didn't do what he was supposed to do?
5: No, because I don't think that you can impeach a president for uh, the failure to act in this, whatever, three and a half hour window. I mean, everybody concedes that he ultimately did act. What you're contending is that it's impeachable because. He delayed for several hours in doing so. And I do think that's subject to condemnation. And I condemned it yesterday. So it's not like I don't understand. Who concedes he acted, by the way? Who concedes he acted? It's altogether another thing to say that that's that's impeachable.
1: Robert, who concedes he acted? I'm not conceding it. I'm saying he did nothing. Pence wound up working with the DOD to get the National Guard there. When Trump was called and asked by his main ally, he mocked him. He did nothing. He sent out a bad tweet. And then he put out a very lukewarm statement uh, saying that he loved the people attacking the Capitol. Where do you see him
5: undertaking the duty of the oath? Well, he he ultimately told them to go home, so you know that mission was accomplished. I think that should have happened many hours before, and I have said so. And I think that was the dereliction of, of duty. But it's another thing altogether to say that out of that, if that's what you're focusing on now, that that's an impeachable offense. My 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 answer to that is. What's the high crime and misdemeanor that the president uh, committed that warrants his uh, okay. uh, conviction and, uh, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the, the sanction of not being able gotcha. to ever run for public so office
6: again? Let's ask. Preet, what do you have? That's not what I think the house managers or I as an observer are basing the conclusion of guilt on. It's part of the whole story. It's part of the context. It's additional proof. It's additional data point. An additional data point that the president of the United States intended for that thing to happen, that happened. And how do you know that? Because he seemed to enjoy it happening. And he didn't try to stop it. And any reasonable, decent leader of the country that we call home would have done something different. It's not to say, uh, you know, to parse out that, you know, two hours of conduct or, or, or omission and say, that's the basis on which you convict. That's an additional piece of evidence on top of all of the other things that we heard over hours and hours of presentation. And by the way, I wish that the, that the president's lawyers would do what Rob is doing. I made this point many times in my career. Um, some of the most effective arguments I've heard made on the part of defendants have been by smart lawyers who say, you know what? Some of what my client did was not commendable. Some of it was downright bad. It was not a moment of pride for my client, but it's not a crime. Uh, and in this case, you could argue it's not, it's not impeachable I don't agree with that, but you would earn some points, I think, with the American public. I think what people are so angry about, in part, is not just that they're making a, a legal defense or a constitutional defense, but they're essentially saying the president did everything correctly. He did nothing wrong. Right. And that, and, and the fact that Republican senators are saying that by their votes and being silent because they're scared and chicken of losing their jobs is despicable to a lot of people, including myself. I understand your Brandenburg argument.
1: We could spend all time, and I don't have it, to deal with whether or not that's the right standard to apply in an impeachment. But specifically, because it was in play today, their argument, Robert, is everybody talks about fighting in politics, even Cuomo. I got thrown in there, too, which is uh, always uh, good for my ability to walk the streets, Um, I
5: appreciated
1: that. I'm sure you did. Why do they just ignore the reality of context? Fight does not mean the same thing, no matter when it's said or how it's said. And here, uniquely, it was amplifying a lie. And it was said at a moment of imminency where they then went and acted. Isn't it different? Doesn't context matter to when you say the word fight?
5: Of course it does. I mean, I'm not denying that context isn't appropriate evidence for any jury, including a jury of impeachment to consider, it's entirely appropriate to have made that argument. I think the house managers made that argument effectively, particularly on day one. But I, I mean, as I argued to you last night, I don't think any amount of evidence in that regard, context included, is going to change the fact that they are wed to the article of impeachment charged. That article charges that those words are what constitutes incitement to insurrection. And I think that that is inconsistent with Brandenburg. I think it has to be a call to violent or lawless action. And that's not it. Mm. And it's just-
1: Go ahead, Robert, keep talking. Check your uh, microphone. Let me know when you got it back. You'd have to talk for me to know, Robert. Oh, let me get Robert back on Pre, while we're waiting uh, for him. he makes the argument on constitutionality in this. You don't have a high crime and misdemeanor and it matters. There has to be a crime. This was argued all the way back in Nixon. The Democrats reject this. Where do you come down on it?
6: Yeah, it doesn't have to be a crime. There are certain things that only the president uniquely can do. If you or I called up the, pre- the president of Ukraine and said, do this or that, as we went through the last time around, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. You know, some good examples have been made by First Amendment lawyers who ordinarily come on air to talk about how important the First Amendment is and how expansive we should read the First Amendment, Floyd Abrams and others, and they make the point, point. I'd like to know what what Rob and others think about this. If you have a president of the United States who goes uh, out in public and at the podium says, I have decided to pledge an oath of allegiance to China, and I think it would be great if this is a Floyd Abrams example, and I believe that China should invade us and America will be better for that. That's not a crime. If you said that or I said that this pr- protected, unpopular political speech, I want someone to tell me, a Republican senator or otherwise, that that's not impeachable. no crime committed. If that's the case, then I think we have you know com- completely uh, you know different and wildly divergent views of what it means to take an unfit president uh, out of office. Robert, you get the hypothetical, what's your response?
5: I do. I think the closest analogy I could get, I'm not so sure about words, but I, I do admit of a national security exception to the general rule that you would have to charge a high crime and, or misdemeanor and prove that. I think the only example I can think of happened during the Cuban missile crisis and President Kennedy and Robert Kennedy conferred. And apparently the conversation was on uh, tape as part of the taping system in the White House. And generally the subject matter was their musings about after the, uh, the missile crisis was over about, you know, whether if they had failed to act to remove uh, Russian missiles from Cuba, what that would have meant. And the conclusion they both came to is, and the president apparently said, I think I would have been impeached. Mm. And you I don't think, think the you know,
1: national security exception applies to a president that gives immediate rise to an attack of at the Capitol where they seek out and try to kill congressmen?
5: I, I mean, look, people can have a reasonable disagreement about that. I, I appreciate Preet's point. I, I think the answer has to be no. How
1: about that, Preet? Who knew that you could sick uh, a mob on Congress? A lot of presidents would have gotten a, a lot more their way <laughs> if they knew they could just send a pack of angry dogs over to Congress and get the guys scared enough to vote their way.
6: Yeah, I, th- there are a lot of things that the most powerful person in this country can do by speech or deed that I guarantee you would cause senators to be galloping towards the chamber to impeach, remove, and disqualify. And that would be one of them.
5: Uh, I, I think most of that conduct, though, would, be, would come under the category of malfeasance in office, which the framers specifically intended not be subject to impeachment
6: and removal from office. Final point, Preet. Yeah, I hope the hypothetical is never tested, but I, I'm saying again, there, it's a political act it's not a courtroom trial governed by the rules of evidence and due process like we see in federal and state court. There are certain things that we expect a president not to do, and many of those things are not criminal in nature. And I hope for the sake of our country, we never face an example of that in the future, but this, this blanket idea that something must meet the elements of a federal or state crime, by the way, crimes that were not even enacted into law back at the founding, when the impeachment power was given to Congress it just doesn't fly.
1: Well, I know this much. Preet and Robert, uh, not to damn you guys to politics, but I think the American people would feel a lot better about the situation if they heard it being argued out this way. But they're not. Be well and thank you for the perspective, gentlemen, both of you. So and you too. these details about the shouting match that Trump had with McCarthy in that moment of crisis, the tone, the spite of the former president, why doesn't it matter Let's bring in a fellow juror to look at the last-minute surprise as the Trump trial heads towards a verdict, probably tomorrow. Next. I believe the Senate will vote on whether or not to convict as soon as tomorrow afternoon if House managers decide not to call witnesses. Seems unlikely at this point that they will, but considering Trump's lawyers have been caught in a major lie about what Trump knew about when his own VP was in danger— Maybe they will call witnesses. Let's bring in a Democratic senator and impeachment juror, Senator Jeff Merkley. Good to see you, Senator. Good to see you, Chris. You think witnesses are
2: likely? I think it's very unlikely. I think they want to wrap this up, be done, and they feel they have the votes right now, so I'd be very surprised.
1: Hmm. And the House managers can't unilaterally move for witnesses? Well, if they had wanted to do so, they,
2: they, they should have done so when they were presenting their case. So I wouldn't think that they feel now that there is a a rebuttal uh, role, but uh, uh, you never really know exactly how these impeachment trials will play out. They're so rare, so I couldn't
1: say uh, for sure, but not likely. Um, As you were looking around the room, the Tuberville call that the defense attorneys tried to dismiss as hearsay, uh, Tuberville then came forward and said it's not hearsay. It happened exactly as I said it did. He mentioned that the VP was being taken out. Um, the call with McCarthy and the depth of the animus from the president towards a guy who's his ally who was asking for help, did any of that seem to make a difference? Well, it it was hard to read what was going on in
2: the minds of my colleagues. Uh, uh, I think their main sense has been they've been looking for an out, and they don't really want to take in information that doesn't fit uh, their argument. They'd like to think that their president actually cared that the capital was being assaulted, uh, actually tried to stop it, but there's no evidence that, that he did. And this reinforces it. I mean, when you see that time chart and you see that when the assault began, he did nothing, absolutely nothing. When you hear the reports of, of how people around him saw that he was excited, that he was happy, he was delighted, and then these two phone calls reinforced the same thing. He didn't say to Tommy Tuberville, he didn't say, oh my goodness, you're kidding me, the vice president's being evacuated? What kind of danger are you in? I've got I've to help you all. No, it was, uh, Tommy, I'm not concerned about that. You know, Tell me, uh, tell me how you can slow down the vote. Uh, And uh, so it's really, uh, it really confirms the situation that people close to the president inside the White House, some close advisors we had reports of, now we have Kevin McCarthy's report saying, Mr. President, you must intervene, and the president well, why? These people care about the votes. I, I like what they're doing. That was the gist of, of what we've come to understand. It completes the picture of a president who incited an insurrection through his actions, through the big lie, through the feeding the, the, the fury of supporters, through organizing it on that day, through sending them to the Capitol, through not getting the
1: National Guard out to the defendants, and then not responding when the Capitol was attacked. So this is not a hard loss on a policy argument. This is not even a hard loss on differing opinions about the president's role in the Russia investigation into interference in the elections. You guys were in there with people trying to come get you. And now your colleagues are going to make it okay. How does business as usual have any chance at happening after they acquit if they do? Well, uh, what happens
2: in a in a in a Senate Uh, is we will have the next issue up, and people will speak to it, people will vote on it, but we must not forget what's going on here. For the first time in 200-plus years, the Capitol was assaulted, a president wanted an imperial presidency. He wanted to break all the rules and do what happens in third world countries, ignore the constitution, uh, destroy the peaceful transfer of power, uh, assault the capital. And then these Republican colleagues who've been elected to and taken an oath to the constitution just want to go forward and say, well, our base doesn't believe all that, so we'll ignore it, which is kind of what it comes down to. They are afraid of their base. Their base is inside the Trump media bubble. All they hear is how wonderful he is. They're scared of that base. They're scared of the mob. And that is a profile in absolute absence of courage.
1: How personal is this for you? Uh, You say that on that day, you saw staffers burst into the chamber. You saw the VP being swept away. Um, What are your memories of that day?
2: Well initially, Chris, I didn't think there was something too major going on because I've seen many protests in the Senate chamber where there's a, a, a disruption of people in the balcony, they they start screaming, they unfold a banner, they start chanting, they start singing, they link arms. And each time it's you know, it's six, ten people, and the Capitol police come and escort them away. So when I first heard the ruckus outside the door, and I think that's the moment that Officer Goodman was directing that first group into that corridor where there were other officers. I thought, well, oh, you know, there's there's six people out there who are who wanted to create a ruckus, and they're being stopped by the Capitol Police just like they always are. And then when uh, the Sergeant of Arms team and some of the the folks from McConnell's team burst in and started shutting the place down, it's like, whoa, this is completely different. And then because we have f- f- smartphones, we started to discover, oh, there's hundreds of people in here, and they're chanting and screaming and and calling for death to the the vice president and and this is a very serious serious thing and at that point it was just incredibly uh solemn uh no we didn't have any really clear idea of of the level of risk in fact i must say in this impeachment hearing we came to understand how close of call it was there were people with arms there were people a few feet of weight somebody could have come in through one of the second floor balcony doors and started shooting people given the fury fury of that mob so we're, we're very fortunate it wasn't worse than it was but look how bad it was i mean you're over a hundred police officers injured uh five to seven or well, seven people uh dead uh uh it's wow Um, uh, if the president can't be held accountable for this after he cultivated this, organized it, directed
1: it, and then celebrated it, I just don't understand it. Last thing, Senator, you saw the VP getting escorted away, yes? Yes. Did he seem to understand that these people were coming to get him? Well, I'll tell you, it happened in a flash. You're talking seconds.
2: And I don't think he knew why he was being escorted away. When, when something is, I'm, I'm thinking about town halls I've had back in 2009 when, when you had an angry mob over Obamacare and you're told if there's a threat, we're going to tell you and sweep you away. But you don't know what the threat is. I assume he didn't know at that moment what the threat, what the threat was.
1: Can you imagine what's going on in his head, listening to the details of how people were so anxious to find him, setting up a gallows outside. And now that he knows that the president was told of where he was, and then the tenant, after that, the president sent out a tweet attacking him. Can't wait till he tells his story. Senator uh, Jeff I, Merkley. Yep. Imagine. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate you as always, sir, and good luck tomorrow. Take care. Thank you. Now, look, as is the Trump way and just kind of part of the way of these political battles in general, there's a lot of BS thrown around. So let's bring in the human lie detector to put the facts on the record before this big vote. May not affect the outcome, but it's about what you know and how you can measure what was done in service to you tomorrow. Next. By the time you get to the third string defense, and that's where Trump's defense team is, they're the third batch, you know that these are the guys who agreed to do what Trump wants you to do, and that means Lie.
0: Let's bring in our fact checker in chief, Daniel Dale. What did you see, Chris? There was a lot of nonsense from these Trump lawyers. So one of the things one of the lawyers said was that the first two messages that Trump posted on Twitter after the incursion on the Capitol began said to uh, stay peaceful and called for no violence. In fact, the first messages Trump, the first message Trump posted on Twitter after the attack began, castigated Mike Pence. That was at 2:24 p.m. after rioters were in the building. Now, a Trump lawyer also claimed that the timeline of events shows that people did not attend a Trump speech at a nearby park uh, down the street from the Capitol, essentially, and then go attack the Capitol. In fact, the FBI alleges that multiple insurrectionists did do this. There was more than enough time for them to make that happen, and this is ignoring the existence of smartphones on which others could have listened to the speech while standing near the Capitol the whole time. A Trump lawyer also claimed that the Constitution's due process clause applies to this impeachment proceeding. Scholars agree it does not. This is not a criminal trial. It does not apply. Now, a lawyer ran a misleading video suggesting that Trump has been Mr. Peacemaker the whole time. It's Democrats who have uh, spoken recklessly in in, an inflammatory manner about violence. Trump has merely praised law enforcement and called for peaceful protests. That's almost misleadingly insulting. It ignores an entire history, a five-year-plus history, of Trump expressing support for a Republican congressman who assaulted a journalist, uh, calling for protesters at his own rallies to be punched, uh, applauding violence against journalists uh, this year during protests in Minneapolis, and on and on and on. Now, a lawyer also made a highly misleading claim, Chris, that uh, this this insurrection, this riot involved extremists of all different stripes who pre-planned the attack, and he said one of the first people arrested, arrested was a leader of Antifa. Look, we know from copious evidence from the FBI, from video, this was a Trump supporter's insurrection. It was not some random hodgepodge of people from the left and right. Now, some participants do have a heart to pinpoint a political ideology. There was one alleged insurrectionist who used hashtag Antifa, Twitter but there was no allegation from the FBI that he was even a member of Antifa let alone a leader of this kind of amorphous movement. Now, a lawyer made a highly disputed claim that Trump did not even know at any point that Vice President Mike Pence was in danger. This contradicts a timeline offered by a strong Trump supporter, uh, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, who said that he directly informed Trump on the phone that Pence had been whisked away by security. And the lawyer also admitted that Trump knew that, of course, this was a violent riot at the Capitol. So, logic would have it that everyone at the Capitol would have been in danger. Chris, a Trump lawyer, also claimed that there was a dramatic, inexplicable drop this year in this or in last year's election in Georgia's absentee ballot rejection rate. That just did not happen. In fact, a Republican Georgia election official tweeted today that the rejection rate this year was essentially identical, 0.15%, as it was in the 2018 midterms. And their their dishonesty was not even just about the election, not even just about the insurrection. A lawyer also claimed that that the clearing of Lafayette Square, this infamous moment uh, outside the White House, had happened because protesters or rioters had pierced a security wall that is not the reason that the square was cleared. We all know the square was cleared because President Trump wanted to have a photo op outside a church. So on and on and on it went, Chris. It was lie after lie, falsehood after falsehood.
1: You didn't even include they coming after your boy today in their defense, suggesting that I was calling for violence in the streets last summer. I can tell you right now, uh, that is highly false. Daniel Dale, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. It's going to be very interesting to see what life is like in Washington, D.C. next week to see what they do in the aftermath of this acquittal. This is very personal for the men and women down there, and they're going to be hard feelings for a long time. How will that translate into the disposition towards any kind of collaboration dealing with the pandemic? This is going to be very telling. I know we're exhausted. But we must grind on. CNN Tonight on this Friday night begins with a big star, D. Lemon now.
7: Keep coming a little bit. Well, you're a second early.
1: More than enough. <laughs> boy, 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 today. I can't believe that they think that
7: they actually helped their case today. It was, it was shocking to me again to watch. And the whole thing about I was, I was surprised when they, when they actually played um, that whole exchange about the Charlottesville thing, and I said, they think that helps him? They actually think that that soundbite, in the longer it plays out, that it actually helps the president about very fine people on both sides? It didn't help at all. It made him look worse. And we've, we've discussed all of this before. We've gone over that. We've, the, the, the permits for the Unite the Right march in Charlottesville were gotten by an avowed white supremacist. OK. And it was a white supremacist march. And so if you want to conflate and, and do all that craziness, know your, the president should have known his history. He should have known what had happened. He should have known the lawyers should have known that counter protesters did not need a permit to protest against the people at
1: the march. It was all smoke and mirrors. I couldn't believe it. Well, they were doing it to show a demonstration of Donald Trump uh, calling out violence. And that's how few examples they had that they had to use that one. Well, that was that. And that, was, again, a bad example, because the longer the soundbite went
7: on, the worse it made him look because he did not know his history about who exactly was at that march. And if you saw the people with tiki tor- torches right. saying uh, Jews will not replace us, you will not replace us, blood and soil.
1: How many fine people are with that? you're looking at it differently than his audience. The audience of those attorneys. They're grasping for anything. Yeah, their audience are Republican senators who are desperate for an out. Oh, there he is. He just said he hates violence. All right, good. Okay, I'm good with that. You know, they're just looking for an out. Look, Don, even if you put aside everything that happened on the 6th up until the insurrection, Okay, he didn't want there to be. That's just him running his mouth. He didn't know where it was going. Okay, and when he said fight, he meant it the way everybody means it. Okay, fine, great. What he did after it started, what he failed to do, that alone is grounds for charging him with a violation of his oath of office. Kevin McCarthy calling him his boy. You know, it's like you call me and say, these people trying to break into my house, you have to come. And I'll be like, well, I guess they like my show more than yours, John. Carry on. Then you people know. would know that would be a lie. But Un- unforgivable. unforgivable.
7: Unforgivable. It is. It really, it's just, I, I, I watch it and I'm like, I, at some points I just have to How are the they ever going to work together? How
1: can there be collegiality after this?
7: Okay, now you're saying what I've been saying for who, how can you work with people who are, not tether to reality. How do you do that? How do you, how do you unite with people like that? I don't understand. I don't care, I don't care what you are. I don't care if you're a Democrat, or Republican, Independent, uh, uh, Nick, Nick Huggigan, whatever. I don't care. How do you work or unite with someone or with a group of people who don't live in reality? I don't think it's possible. And that is, that's a sad thing for our country because you have so many people who want to believe anything the president says. But you know what? I'm not willing to let them off the hook that, that much because they are adults. They're grown people. They make their own choices. And they talk about personal responsibility. They have the personal responsibility to stand up and do what's right. And they're not doing it for whatever reason. I believe it's because that's
1: who they are. The guy I learned the most about in this trial is McCarthy. How so? Because he's so angry and legitimately Frightened in the moment that yeah. he gets the president on the phone and says, You have to do something. Yeah. The president basically flips him off. He throws the F bomb <laughs> at the president, gets off, tells everybody about the call, goes out in public and says, Trump is responsible. <laughs> and then, yeah. I guess it's because he wants to be speaker in two years if they take the House back. He not only votes to decertify the election, where a group of people Just came to try to find and do bad things to him. He advances the lie of the guy who did him dirty. Again. Again. You're proving my point. You're proving my point. And then he goes and meets with him and kisses his ring. When people show you who they are,
7: believe them. This isn't because he wants to be speaker. This is because he doesn't have a backbone. And if he had a backbone, then he might actually become speaker. If he st- stood up and did the moral thing and actually led people instead of. But how can you mis- think he's going to work with the Democrats if he'll lead- bend over that backward to? Again, you know, in order to do that, you don't, you can't have a backbone. Lead to bend over
1: backwards, you cannot have a backbone.
7: I'll give it to you. Lead or mislead, and right now they're misleading. I got to run. D. Lemon, I love you. Have yeah. a good Friday night. If so, I can't wait for my Valentine's present. Chocolate, low sugar. That's what I was called in college. That was your nickname in high school. In college. (laughs) I'll see you later.